Hey everyone, welcome to Take a Second, a weekly Come Follow Me podcast meant to strengthen our personal connections with Jesus Christ, as well as deepen our appreciation for His role in our Heavenly Father's universal plan of salvation. I'm Brian Ricks, and Stuart Black is here with me. Thanks for joining us, and let's get into uh, let's get into this week's scripture block. Hey everybody, welcome back to Take a Second for Come Follow Me. I'm Brother Ricks. I'm Brother Black. Um, thanks for watching. We are uh, super grateful to have you, and uh, would appreciate it. Anything you did to kind of share the word, share the word, share Spread the good the word. word. Yeah. <laughs> what, uh, whether you're sharing that through social media or just through word of mouth, appreciate that. Um, I had somebody the other day ask me why we do it. Like there's already, I, there's already so many good mm-hmm. come follow me stuff out yeah. there, and um, I said, yeah, I know there are, and they said, so why put another one out there? Why not just let people watch the ones? So this was my response. Truthful or sarcastic? Where did no, you go? They were, they were, yeah, <laughs> no, they, you. I'm saying your me, answer. <laughs> um, they were being pretty serious, and so I was pretty serious. And I, I just said, you know, as soon as all of the average or maybe even a little below average, which maybe this podcast falls into <laughs> a little bit, as soon as the average to below average anti stuff stops because they figure there's enough anti-Mormon stuff out there or anti-Latter-day Saint stuff out there, then maybe we won't need to maybe put we'll this out stop. there. <laughs> But I figure as long as – there's no shortage of criticism. There's no shortage of, of, of critics. Um, and so this is just I, – I remember doing master's. I had a class from Joseph Hilda McConkie, and we had four-page papers due every day. And we would leave if, – if you left anything at the bottom of, your page, of that fourth page, and you did three and three-fourths <laughs> of a page – um, one of the comments he would, there were, there were lots of things. Like sometimes he would draw a little for sale sign or for rent and he'd say <laughs> space for rent or things. But the one that hit me the hardest was he made a comment on one of my papers that was a little short of the four, four page mark. And he said, if you have an opportunity to take a swing for the kingdom, kingdom, why wouldn't you? You have more to say, say it. And so I have always thought about that. And I, and, and so that's where the conversation eventually ended up to I just said, I, I want to take a swing for the kingdom. I, just, I want to share my share my testimony, share my witness, and and share some of the things. Even though I know there are others that are sharing, maybe even the same insights. Um, I just I want to share mine. Yeah, I, so, I I agree. I think the world needs some more good. Yep. And so if this is a way that somebody spends a couple minutes of their time enjoying some good and enjoying some uh, insights, testimonies, whatever it is, I you know not not every time we watch a podcast or go to church even or read the scriptures or be like, oh, I didn't know that before. There's a just, sometimes we just fill our lives with good. Yep. And if that's one of those things that accomplishes, then that is good. The world needs more good. Yep. So if this podcast is uh, bringing any good into your life, please, uh, please share it with family and friends and spread the word. Yep. Um, We're in Matthew 11, 12 and Luke Luke 11. 11. Yep. Right. Yeah. Um, Let's start with John the Baptist. Cool. This has always been an interesting I like this story. This has always been an interesting story to me because it seems like John's forgot his testimony. If you read it that way, if absolutely. you read it that way, yeah. And so, so this is Matthew eleven. Matthew eleven, verse two. It says, "Now when John John's in prison, when he heard him in the prison the works of Christ, he sent two of his disciples, his being John the Baptist's disciples, him. and said unto him, Art thou he that should come, or do we look for another? And I, as I read this in my notes. I just wrote, what about behold the lamb? Like, <laughs> did he say behold the lamb maybe? <laughs> and, and so I think it's important to read this and in, 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 to identify and remember, read it into context of John when John says, he's got to grow and I've got I've to shrink. Mm-hmm. And 
the key is in verse 2 where it says, he sent two of his disciples. I think John sees that as a problem. At this stage, you shouldn't be my disciples anymore. Yeah. At this stage, you need to be disciples of Christ. Um, and so... And can I and point this out up. too? Yeah. Well, I was just going to say, and we'll bounce back and forth, I'm sure, because I had similar thoughts with these chapters as well, that where does John send them? To Jesus. Mm-hmm. John is still doing right here what he has always oh. done. He is sending people to Jesus. One's coming after me. I'm not even worthy to take off his shoes. And I love that idea. And to me, the question in, in verse 3, I read it this, this way. I, I underline the word we. Do we look for another? It's now their question mm-hmm. that John's saying, if you want proof, go talk to Jesus. And that's what the next verses to me are. And so this isn't John's question. Art thou he that should come or do we look for another? To me, I read that as personally as John saying, you go ask Jesus yourself mm-hmm. and figure out that question. Yeah, I think this is – this I think shows John the Baptist is a great teacher. It's one thing to be told that Jesus is the Christ, behold the Lamb. It's another thing to be sent to go find, figure it out for yourself, and a great teacher should do that. It's – you know, Elder Bednar's comment, the, the best, the most important principles in life are caught, not taught. Mm-hmm. And John's sending them to catch their own principle. This, this idea, of, look, go talk to Jesus and ask him what he's been doing. Go ask him if he's the one you're searching for. And, and rather than just telling him, and I think the evidence that that's the way to read it, you know, verse four, you've got the answer, verse four and five. Uh, Jesus answered and said unto them, Go and show John again those things which you do hear and see. The blind receive their sight, the lame walk, the lepers cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised up, the poor have gospel preached to them. And so if John, I, I love the fact that John says, Go ask Jesus if he's the way. And Jesus is like, What? John asked that, huh? <laughs> well, go tell John. Um, <laughs> Everything that's happened, and and there's this, these two master teachers are setting these students up to have their own experiences so that they come to their own conclusions. As soon as they leave, Jesus, I think, is, is, the, is the perfect evidence that John hasn't forgotten the baptism scene yeah. because Jesus then turns to those that are with him, and it says in verse 7, as they departed, Jesus began to say unto the multitudes concerning John, what went you out to the wilderness to see? And and there's this question, like, why did you go out there? I mean, at the beginning of the Gospels, we know that Pharisees and scribes and the lawyers. It had a um, huge following. Everybody was going out to the wilderness to listen to John. And Jesus is now saying to those that are around him, why would you go? And the, the first he offers one idea. He says, did you go out to see a reed shaken by the wind? Now, growing up the way I grew up, you know, duck hunting or, you know, uh, pheasant hunting, you spend a lot of time out in windy places. Mm-hmm. Um, and when you get out along the ditch banks and you watch those big cattails, they get up there and they've got that big brown head at the top, right? When the wind starts blowing, that big head folds <laughs> whichever way the wind is blowing. And it's going to bend whatever pressure is placed on it. it it's not ever – you've never seen a cattail stand up to the wind. It always bends. Yeah. And so Jesus is saying, did you think you were going out there to see somebody that would fold to political pressure? Pharisees, did you think you could go out there and benefit from his following and you could get him to fold over? No way. Because you have to keep in mind why John's in prison. He's not a folder. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And so Jesus said, well, clearly that's not what you went out to see. So verse 8, he asked him again, 
So what did you go out there for? If it wasn't for that, maybe you went out to see somebody in soft clothing. Well, we know that he was wearing <laughs> a coat of camel's hair. Yeah. That, Eating grasshoppers and honey. <laughs> this is Yeah, and, and Jesus says, look, the only place you find soft clothing is in king's houses. And that's not where John was. That's not what he was wearing. Um, you know, I it, it's really cold, and and we're doing construction. Uh, couldn't find my bibs, my my overall, my heavy duty, and so just my wife said, "Well, why don't you just wear these?" And it's my duck hunting ones. I'm like, I can't wear those; those will get ripped. <laughs> so what do you do? You go get, and luckily it's March, so all the Carhartt stuff is twenty to thirty percent off. And, right. Um, so you go get Carhartt. Why? Because it's harsh. It, it holds up to nails and wood and all the construction stuff that we're doing outside. You can't, you can't wear soft clothing in John's situation. So what, did you go out there to see some pampered little, some pampered preacher? And obviously that wasn't the answer. And so then verse 9, Jesus says, but what went ye out to see? A prophet? And then answering his own question, which is kind of rare for him. Usually he'll leave it with the audience. And, yeah. But he says, yeah, that's what you went out to see, and more than a prophet. And then he, he testifies and gives bears testimony of the Baptist, saying, this is he of whom it is written, behold, I will send a mess, my messenger before thy, before thy face, which shall prepare thy way before thee. This is, you know, John is more than just, he's not just any prophet. He's the prophet that was sent to say, Jesus isn't coming. He's here. I love that. I just a couple couple other thoughts to add into there. In verse five, when when Jesus says, "Go and and see the uh, go show John again those things which you do hear and see the blind receive their sight, the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the poor have the gospel preached unto them," um, which means in Matthew in these first ten chapters, you will find evidence of all of these things. And so that that's one of the things that I I love about that that look in the previous chapters and you're like oh yeah like blind receiving their sight yep. the ones that you're you're like I don't want to say you have to stretch a little bit but the deaf hear part of that it was like John's message and Jesus's message this isn't to me a, a lot of the other ones were literal that one he's saying like are you hearing the, the kingdom is here yeah. have you missed the message that John was already preaching which is I'm here. Because a lot of other people have heard it and accepted it. And that's why Jesus is growing at this point. And then when he says the poor have the gospel preached unto them, that to me is the Sermon on the Mount. Mm -hmm. Blessed are the poor, poor in the spirit. spirit. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So on that that connection with those verses, I, I love that idea. And um, as a teaching idea or, or just even as an opportunity to, to share testimonies, um, I, would, I would ask, how do you know who Jesus really is? And this is the evidence that Jesus chose to give these two disciples. Of the proof, um, when when Elder Uchtdorf came here in the in the fall, he uh, he paraphrased one of uh, a quote from Steve Jobs. He says, "You don't connect the dots looking forward. You can only connect the dots looking backwards." And he connected that to to us, and that was a pun intended connected there. But mm -hmm. uh, that idea of it, for for them to know Jesus, they looked backwards and they recognized what has Jesus done in my life. And I think that's a, a pretty powerful thing that we want to know who people really are, not just on the surface. And and you get that idea with these other questions that Jesus is asking later on, like John didn't fold and John wasn't in it for the money or for the nice clothes or to be recognized by kings because that's why he's in prison. John is doing it because deep down, pure and simple, he is who he says he is and so am I. 
um, I had a, a good friend in high school and um, uh, she actually passed away. Uh, she was in a car accident and um, we kind of liked each other and went on a couple of dates and stuff, but uh, she was in the grade below me and it was a kind of a tragic thing at Madison High School that, uh, that she passed away. But uh, she, she told this story and, and this isn't meant to toot a horn or anything, but um, she asked her dad one time, she said, how can you tell if a boy, she's the oldest in her family and she really liked boys. And she said, uh, which worries me because I have a daughter who's <laughs> oldest in my family, it terrifies me. But she asked her dad, she said, how, how can you tell if a, if a guy's really good? Like just not on the surface and, or anything else. And um, he said, uh, he, her dad said to her, he said, because he'll do the right thing when no one's watching. He'll just deep down inside, he will always do the right thing. A couple of years later, one of my best friends from high school, Cole, um, he passed away, and they were actually in the same ward, and uh, um, kind of an unrelated thing. And he was the stake president at the time, and he spoke it, uh, and he was my friend's bishop when my friend went on his mission and stuff like that. And uh, he spoke uh, at at Cole's funeral, and one of the things he brought out, he took out of his pocket a letter. He said, "A lot of people went to my to our daughter Callie's uh, funeral." But he said, not a lot of people wrote me a letter. Cole did. And my friend Cole wrote his bishop a letter and said, I am so sorry about your daughter. She was a great person. I, I loved her. I'm sorry for the things that you're going through. He said, one of my priests, nobody asked him to do it. He wrote me a letter. And uh, in, in that same thing, he said, you know, my friend Calliot had already passed away. I, the Rexburg Temple had recently been dedicated, and so the sessions were full, and um, I was at like a 5.30 session in the morning. And uh, he happened to be there. And I hadn't seen him since before my mission, and um, I went and saw him. I said, hey, so-and-so, and I gave him a big hug, and um, he shared that in the funeral as well. He said, you can tell who good people are because they do the right thing when no one's watching. Who shows up at the temple at 5.30? It's not to be recognized. Who writes his bishop a letter? And, and that idea for the Savior, who he really is, he says, look back. Look at all of the things that I've done. Connect those dots. And, and to me, I think that's a powerful lesson for us as we understand who Jesus really is. If we slow down and look back in our lives, how do you know Jesus is who he says he is? Well, look backwards. Look at the times that he's opened your ears, that he's given you eyesight, that he, he's helped you be less poor and be a little bit feeling better about yourself in the kingdom. All of these things, I, I love that Jesus is a healer. And when I look back in my life, my testimony of that grows immensely. Yeah, that was, so my teaching idea for this section is I, similar to yours. I would just take verse five. And after having gone through all of this and just explained the fact that this is how these disciples of John make the shift. This is how they, we hope, we don't, we don't know who their names are. And so who knows what they went back to John and said and, and what that, what happened. But I have a tendency to think that they went back to John and shared it. And John said, okay, go and, follow him. Then. And they made this transition. And, and one of the things that did it was, was seeing this, looking back and connecting those dots. And I would just spend some time in verse five saying, how does he do this in your life? Yeah. What are the things? And, and I would, have them i would i would have students or family make a list what are the miracles what are the works of christ that you've already experienced and and if they're not listed in five then list them and maybe you know that i when i read deaf to hear i i i i know we don't know much about nicodemus before he comes in john three and i know we don't know much about jarius and before he comes and ruler of a synagogue and 
but I wonder if their if their situations, if at one point they were deaf and now they're hearing, yeah. and now they're seeing. And um, I don't mean to cast any shadow of doubt on their character, or, um, but I just wonder if that's if that's some of what he's saying is these Pharisees who never had any reason to think outside of their Pharisaical box now all of a sudden are going, wait a minute. And now we're going to go to Jesus at night and ask these questions and, and start to have these these experiences. At the end of Christ's life, you've got Joseph of Arimathea um, and, and others that maybe at one point in their life they were deaf and now they're not. Um, but I would give I would give them time. I'd give family or, or a class time to write down a list of what are the works of Christ in your life or in the life of people you know. Uh, especially if you're teaching a younger class, you might want to expand that a little bit so that they can uh, share stories of mom and dad or, or grandma and grandpa that have been shared and passed down the family line. But, but I'd, I'd sink, I'd drop an anchor right there in verse five for the life. Yeah, I would as well. And, and that, that thing that you're pointing to, I think is this great principle that, that we're trying to testify of that, that the, the proof of Jesus comes in the lives of many people that he's affected. The, the outcomes, the things that he's changed, the goodness that he, sh that he shares and spreads. And that's what's going to open the door for all of these people in our classes or in our families or whatever to, to testify of, I know Jesus is great because he's done these things. Mm -hmm. Th this is the proof that I have of Jesus Christ. That's how I know who he really is. Um, this is, is kind of a related thought, and, and I'll pick your brain just for a minute about it. But uh, in 12, chapter 12, Matthew, verses 38 to 41, um, certain of the scribes of the Pharisees answered, saying, Master, we would see a sign from thee. Mm -hmm. Okay. But he answered and said to them, An evil and adulterous generation seeketh after a sign. Ouch. <laughs> That's big. <laughs> evil and adulterous. He calls them out like mm -hmm. bad things. And there shall be no sign given unto it but the sign of the prophet Jonas. Uh, for as Jonas was in the whale's belly three days, so he's talking about his own death and resurrection. He said, mm -hmm. That will be the biggest sign for every single person. Um, and I, I wanted just to compare this idea, and, and I wrote down this question. Um, how come sign-seeking isn't good for us? Because in these other ones, Jesus says, well, look back. Look at all the people who got their eyesight back and they are, the lame are walking. And you're like, well, some people might say to themselves, well, aren't those signs? Aren't those sign-seekers? And so how do you uh, – I just wanted to make yeah. it bounce back and forth a little bit with that. So, so the difference between sign-seeking, sign-recognizing, so to speak. So the, in the introduction to the Book of Mormon, Moroni says – um, on the title page, not the introduction, sorry. On the title page, he says, the purpose of the Book of Mormon is to show unto the remnant of the house of Israel what great things the Lord hath done for their fathers. Isn't that science? <laughs> like, like that, the whole process of gaining a testimony is looking at what God has done for others and wondering if he'll do it for you and wondering enough that you act on that. Um, I, so I think one of it is, so obviously the first thing is motivation. What's your reason for asking um, and your intent? Book of Mormon talks about if, if, uh, if you ask God with, with real intent, right, um, that these things shall happen. And we have – there's enough things and there's enough experiences where prophets technically ask for a sign. You know, we've got the stopping of the sun or you've got a Helaman's given a sign – or I shouldn't say Helaman. Samuel the Lamanite gives a sign in Helaman for people to look for. Um, I think part of it is, is motivation. What's the intent with which you're asking? It doesn't seem – there's nothing in the scriptures that gives me reason to believe that the people asking in Matthew 12 
have any expectation of following Jesus following through if it, yeah. he gives the sign. Yeah. That I just don't think that that seems to be that it's just not that's just not the way they're headed. Mm-hmm. Um or even a way that they're willing to consider. Yeah. Um I also I guess when you lay over top of it what we know about God the Father, I believe that if these Pharisees were willing, if there was anything that he could have showed them that would have softened their hearts, I think he would have showed it to them. Um, and so I wonder if a fuller picture of what the Savior saving in 39 is by evil and adulterous generation, that e- part of that evil generation is that generation that seeks for a sign with no intention of following, with no righteousness, with no righteous desire to 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 do the will of of God and therefore it, maybe that's what constitutes evil. And and don't you love that idea then that even in miracles and in signs and everything else the Lord still cares about our hearts and what really is deep down inside of us. And and to me that was just a connection I had made between this first part of Matthew 11 and and that middle part there in Matthew 12 where who is John really deep down inside? Well, Jesus testifies of exactly who he is. He's not a reed shaken in the wind at all. And it's the same with Jesus. Jesus is like, I, look at all of the things that I've done. And they're like, well, give us a sign. And he says, I'm not going to give you a sign, except for the biggest sign in the whole world, which is the, <laughs> the resurrection. resurrection. <laughs> and so I, I think that's a, a powerful thing. And, and to me, um, that difference in, in my life, at least, that I need to learn to be a sign recognizer and not a sign seeker. Yeah. That to to realize like it's okay that God sends signs signs of the second coming and signs of of the gospel being restored and signs that goodness is spreading and that's absolutely okay but I think so much of it comes to my heart and me not kneeling down and saying I will only believe if you give me a sign first mm-hmm. that that's me believing in a sign and not believing in Christ and and my faith is not in an outcome my faith is in Jesus and there's a huge difference between those things that in some of those miracles we talked about either last week or the week before, there's a lot of them who say, if thou wilt, if thou wilt, you can make me clean. It just so happens that Jesus just always does it for him. Yeah. 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 And was willing to do that. Yep. And so being a recognizer of those signs and not just a sign seeker, I think that's a, a good distinction and can be a good discussion to have. Yeah. I, and I think I, when things like this come up, I think it's, I think it's a great teaching tool to, to, Put it out there and not put it out there with the resolution immediately. I let let the people that you're visiting with let them wrestle with it for a little bit. Yeah. Um one of the things, these these two chapters, the Savior comes down pretty hard on Israelites. The Israelites have an over um an overactive sense of self-worth based on family history. Yeah. I like, <laughs> like we are the children of Abraham. What's your last name? All you need to know, right? That's, Feels like high school is like that sometimes. What's your last name? That's why you're cool. Uh, That's why and, you make the basketball team. And <laughs> it is, especially and I I'm grateful that we didn't we're we've lived in my wife's it, for the last little for way too long, we lived <laughs> in my wife's parents' house and, and this is the house she grew up in and the neighborhood she grew up in and and I've always been so grateful that it was her neighborhood we're living in and not mine. <laughs> um, and yeah, and was talking with her the other day about like that hasn't been easy, um, because of, it's difficult to grow out of that, right? Sure. For the Israelites, one of the challenges, and I think as Latter Day Saints we struggle with this a little bit. We hear every Sunday or every fast Sunday at least, if not more, this is the true church. 
and we kind of get this overgrown sense of what that means or maybe a misguided sense of what that means and what it doesn't mean. Um, as Israelites, they had been told since Moses that you are a peculiar and a precious people. Well, they've gotten to the point by the time Jesus comes that they've interpreted that to mean that they're precious and they're important and they're unique and Therefore, nobody else is. Yeah. Therefore, all I need to be saved is to be house of Israel. And twice, in, in 11 and in 12, Jesus kind of puts them in their place. Um, so in verse 20, it says, in, back in chapter 11, Then began he to upbraid the cities wherein most of his mighty works were done, because they repented not. Woe unto thee, Chorazin, woe unto thee, Bethsaida, for if the mighty works which were done in you had been done in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago in sackcloth and ashes. But I say unto you, it shall be more tolerable for Tyre and Sidon at the day of judgment than for you. And then he really throws down and he says, And do you, Capernaum, which are exalted above heaven, shall be brought down to hell? For if the mighty works which had been done in thee had been done in Sodom, it would have remained until this day. It will be more tolerable for the land of Sodom in the day of judgment than for you. I mean, that, those are strong words. And, and by the way, Capernaum is the city that Jesus has almost adopted after Nazareth has thrown him out. Yep. That, that he goes there and does a lot of miracles there. That's where Peter's mother-in-law is and stuff. It's, a, it's an important city to yeah. the preaching. And, and, and he's saying, and we know, and then in chapter 12, that, those verses you brought up, the very next verse says, The men of Nineveh shall rise in judgment with this generation and shall condemn it. Because they repented at the preaching of Jonas. And I'm way better than Jonas. I'm better than Jonas. And then he's verse 42. The queen of the south shall rise up in judgment with this generation and shall condemn it. For she came from the uttermost parts of the earth to hear the wisdom of Solomon. And behold, a greater than Solomon was here. The Savior kind of pulling them in, trying to pull the house of Israel into a reality check of, of... just because you're my my covenant children doesn't mean – you can't use that to interpret and, and to rationalize that God loves his other children less. And, and so pointing out that ultimately your actions and your heart again, that's what matters. I'm going to – I'm not going to judge you on your family tree. I don't – I know your family tree because ultimately I am. Yes, your he is. Tree. Yes, he's from there. <laughs> um, and so he he's going to call them out and say, "Look, in fact, this is a where much is given, much is required kind of an idea." And he said, "I I expect more from you, and there's going to be even more required of you because I came to you." You think about these Nephites that are over in the Americas that are wishing that he would come and when nephi reveals and and some of the other prophets reveal it he's actually not going to come here until after the resurrection and they get flack for that because well why wouldn't he come to us um based on the situation at the time of the savior's birth i don't know that the nephites want that (laughs) because the savior says that there's a higher level of accountability for the jews to which he came um and you know, and it's it's interesting. Second Nephi ten, Jacob says, "There's no other nation on the earth that would have done this to their God." Yeah. Um. So I, I think it's interesting that the, you know the Savior's teaching this doctrine and covenants principle of much is given, much is required, and uh, and kind of trying to humble it. And I I think sometimes as we read through this as Latter Day Saints, I think we want to put ourselves in the shoes of 
the fishermen and the you know the farmers and all the humble people that are just eating up the gospel. And many of us, I think, are that. I think sometimes, though, we need to read it through the eyes of the Pharisees because we're the ones that have had the gospel for 200 years. Yeah. We're the ones that have listened to the prophets and have listened to their, you know, the prophets have been teaching us and teaching us and teaching us. And sometimes they have to teach us four and five times. Mm-hmm. And uh, I remember Elder Bednar before he was, before he was Elder Bednar from Salt Lake, he, you know, he was Elder Bednar Area Authority up in right. Rexburg. And, and I remember him him speaking at uh, something at Rexburg. So I, I don't remember if it was a seminary institute kind of a thing or if it was a BYU Idaho thing. And my wife and I happened to be up there, and he was mentioning something that President Hinckley was talking about. And President Hinckley had to spell out what a what a principle. I think it was your body is a temple. And in three or four talks, President Hinckley lays out exactly what your body is a temple means and and what it what it means we should be doing or not doing with our bodies. And I remember Elder Bender posing this question. What could President Hinckley have taught us if he hadn't had to teach us something that we've already been taught? And I th- that idea comes back to me from time to time when I hear Jesus talking to the Pharisees about the prophets and about the way that their ancestors have treated them and ultimately the way they're treating them, at least their words. Yeah. And, and not- that idea, I think it's Elder Bednar as well. So just piggybacking that, he said, you really determine what's going to happen in conference. Mm-hmm. You determine the talks based on how you're living and based on your prayers and based on what you're seeking and based on what you need in your life. If you're tired about hearing about a particular topic, well, guess what? Maybe work on that topic and yeah. fix it, and maybe then we can move on to something maybe else. Maybe we're tired of speaking <laughs> on it. <laughs> and and that, I think that's a great point that you and I are getting the the message that we need. Mm-hmm. Um, and the Savior knows their hearts the most, and he really is deep down. I, I know sometimes we read through these, and he calls them vipers and things like that. We're like, oh, he's mean. Uh, at the root of everything that Jesus is doing, he's he is doing this because he loves them. Back in that that incredible verse in uh, in verse five, the blind get their sight, the the, the lame walk. Um, to connect that at the end of verse or of chapter eleven, these are. There's not much to say except that this is such a beautiful idea where Jesus says, Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly in heart, and ye shall find rest unto your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Um, There is such a, a, a great connection here that Jesus is talking about yokes and work and easy and light. And you're like, those all can't fit together. <laughs> um, and with the Savior, the, it is. You're 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 yoked with him. And uh, his expectations or the things that he's asking of us are, yes, they're challenging. And um, But I also think that it's there's a progression with that. And there's there's hope always because you are with Jesus. Mm-hmm. And uh, I, I know in my life when I've had to do hard things, I, I'm a social guy. And I love, like, I'm okay doing projects if I'm doing a project with a buddy or with a friend or with my wife. Like, I'm like, that's okay. Something happens inside of me where I'm like, no, we're hanging out. Yeah. Uh, I have a a brother-in-law in in, uh, Tooele, Derek, that him and I did so many things together. And it was like we'd end up, you know, moving people and it'd be like him and I and for an elders quorum. And it was like nobody from his elders quorum or my elders quorum showed up or or the timing was different or we got there early. And it was just we cranked it out. And I wasn't even mad because I was just hanging out with my friend. Mm-hmm. And, uh, there, you know, changing water heaters and other things like that where it was just like 
this is a good way to spend a couple hours on a Saturday and we'd go get a soda or, or ice cream or something at the end of that. And I love that idea that the work with Jesus isn't like drudgery. Mm-hmm. It's still work, but it's going to be easy and your other burdens, the things that are not important are going to completely melt away because yeah. you're with him. I So I'm fascinated with 28 through 30 because uh, – so this was not a scripture mastery scripture. It wasn't one of the hundred, you know, it, it, for most uh, most of our young adults, they're not going to, they won't know scripture mastery, but I, doctrinal mastery. I grew up in, you know, and, and cut my teeth in seminary teaching with scripture mastery. Yeah, you had yeah. 25 scriptures every Each year. year. And, yeah. um, and when they made the transition from scripture mastery to doctrinal mastery, and they, they took a look at and, and I'm not sure I wasn't I didn't have anything to do with that process but I run it by you first they <laughs> you know what I just was too busy I had too I just I was too busy that time that when they called and no I they didn't even think about running it <laughs> um, I'm fascinated with the idea of what is it about this verse that got them to remove that got them to remove another scripture, yeah. one that had been a scripture mastery for 20 years. Mm-hmm. And and I, I just, at the core, to me, this is, we, our church experience is meant to lighten our load. And if we go to church and we don't find rest and we aren't being lifted and and we don't find it easier, if we don't find the rest of life easier, because of our experience on Sunday, then I think it was Elder Hate that said, "Man, we're probably doing Sunday wrong then." Yeah. Uh, and, and and or the experience isn't what it's meant to be, and maybe that's not your fault. There are plenty of people who, you know, are are because of church culture things. And and, and that can be a ward culture, that can be a city culture, that can, whatever that is. That, that makes the church experience heavy and difficult. And and that is that's tragic when that happens because that's not what it's supposed to be. And as as members of the church, we're the ones the prophets are in charge of the doctrine. As members, we're in charge of the culture. I mean, I just started taking I just started teaching a class two classes at the Highland Seminary and one of the things I started with just to get to know them I asked this question: If you could, ma- if you could wave a magic wand and change anything about the culture of the church, what would you change? And I did it because I wanted to get to know the students, and and that's pretty enlightening as to what is it in you know number one, how fast do they <laughs> shoot their hands up, and number two, what are they bringing up? And it was pretty interesting. I got what I expected. Usually from a high school, you know, a group of ninth through twelfth graders. Without question, there were a lot of things that were mentioned, but without question in both classes, judgment. And so, you know, we had this great conversation about why should judging not be a part of our culture? Is it a part of our culture? And they're all like, yes, it's so. And so we finished the conversation by essentially quoting Elder Uchtdorf. Well, stop it then. Yeah. Like you're in charge of the culture. The prophets are in charge of doctrine. Members are in charge of the culture. And if our culture makes the church seem heavy or difficult or burdensome, then our culture has to change. Then, then that's not the, the culture that Christ is looking for. Absolutely. 
I, I think that's these verses are some of my favorite, maybe some great ones to end on. That uh, I've never particularly liked the saying because it's not really a quote or anything that I never said to be easy. I never said to be worth it. Not, admittedly, not my favorite church thing that people say, especially because Jesus says, My yoke is easy. Mm-hmm. I'm like, That's the exact opposite. And it doesn't mean that. I don't think Jesus is saying you you get the gospel and you just coast from there. It's all downhill once you're baptized. That uh, I do know though that with Him life is so much better, yeah. and it is it is easier when when we are connected to the Savior. And I love the idea that He even is willing to be connected to me. Mm-hmm. That brings me a lot of happiness in my life. Yeah. So one of my favorite teaching things to do, and I'll do this next week with my seminary classes, is uh, and and I have no question i i don't stress at all about them watching this and getting a, a, a preview of what's uh what's to come so i'll share this here i'm going to bring in a big king size candy bar and i'm going to say because everybody knows the quote yeah i never said it would be easy i only said it would be worth it and i'm going to offer a king size candy bar to anybody who can find in the scriptures where that quote it, yeah. where does it say that and then we're going to go straight to verse 30 where actually jesus didn't say that yeah. what he said was if you'll yoke up with me. And I, I have a little note in my scriptures written about, like, how is this even possible? How can I put a yoke on and have it be easy? And, I, you know, part of it is, is he's doing all the lifting. The other part of it is, I think when you get engaged with that work, really engaged with the work, it doesn't seem like work anymore. Like what you were talking about. Uh, I, I wrote a little, I treat my scriptures a lot like journals. And so I write, and so I have a little journal entry here about deer hunting one time. And we're up at like, 8,500 feet. We have, we've kind of followed these deer up on the top and we're on horses and we've gotten to the spot where they've just gone down into some quakies. And so my two friends that I'm with, they take our three horses and they walk the path, which is just up above the quakies. And, and our hope is, is that the deer will notice the horses and they'll follow them. I take my boots off up in the harsh Utah upper mountains so that I can be quieter. And I trek for about two and a half hours creeping through the woods in my stocking feet. Now, most of the time walking across branches and twigs and rocks and dirt and stuff getting stuck in your socks would drive you nuts. But because of what I was doing, <laughs> I didn't even notice. And I think sometimes that's, you know, that's, that's how a burden becomes light. That's how a yoke becomes not a big deal uh, because of who you're with. And when you really jump into this work, it kind of takes over. It's it's that missionary who's been out 17 months and all of a sudden catches the vision and, and he's got the language and now he's got it. He's comfortable with the scriptures and and the last seven months of his mission is just a, a blast. Mm-hmm. And there's I know lots of guys and gals that that was their experience. Those last five or six months. It was. It wasn't hard for them like it was the first five or six months, even though the work was exactly the same. Love so, that. Great thoughts. Anything else? Nope. Me. Either. I think that's good. Thanks for joining us. We'll see you next week on Take a Second for Come Follow Me. Have a great week. Well, thanks again for joining us on Take a Second for Come Follow Me. Brother Black and myself want to emphasize that. In this episode or any other episode, there's nothing that we've said that is meant to or can in any way be interpreted as the official doctrine or policy or practice of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. 
Uh, Brother Black and myself simply represent two guys that enjoy talking about Scripture and and on our own life experiences as it relates to the gospel of Jesus Christ and and hope that in sharing some of our thoughts and, and insights, but certainly our personal opinions and nothing more, that uh, maybe it might open up the Scriptures a little bit to you. So thanks again for joining us on Take a Second, and we will see you in our next episode.